Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm not Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt Farrell's brother. I'm a writer. And I'll be asking the questions this time around. With me is Matthew Farrell. I am Matthew Farrell. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which was from November 17th, 2020. Get solar energy without solar panels on your home. Community Solar Explained. This was actually very helpful for me because as a person who would be interested in finding a way to take advantage of solar power production without actually owning a home, this is mm -hmm. exactly in my, this, this is the route I would have to take. Yes, it is. It's especially timely because... Let me go further back than that. About three weeks ago, four weeks ago, our landlord showed up and the electric company had finally hit the point of, we will be installing those smart meters that you wanted. Our landlord has apparently been on the wait list for, I think she said three years, four years. Wow. And so these are smart meters that are remote, remotely read. Right. So nobody has to come to the building. And our landlord was excited by this because she had a good relationship with the previous meter reader who would always call her prior to arriving at one of her buildings and had a very tight regular schedule. Right. So that she could then coordinate her arrival and let him into the buildings to read the meters. And oh, this, so they had this, this like arrangement this from the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very old school. Like, you yeah. know, he would call her and be like, I'm going to be at your building on fourth Avenue in 25 minutes. And she'd be like, okay, I'll meet you there. And she'd drop whatever she was doing, come meet him, let him in so he could read the meters. And she was super excited because now this meant this was going to free up so much of her time because they own multiple buildings, she and her husband. So it's like, this is great. So they installed the meters. I think it, they were here for like eight hours straight because yeah. our building is old enough that the first person who came in to install the meters said, your meters are so old, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so I have to contact Jeez. somebody else to do it. And the first response from Con Ed was, we don't have anybody available, so you're going to have to wait. My landlord and her husband, I could actually hear the phone call they were having out on the front steps uh -huh. through our front door as they were yelling <laughs> into the phone, like, we've been waiting for years you're going to send somebody today. This is unacceptable. And I can yeah. hear them saying things like, our tenants can't leave because the we we need them to be here in order for us to come in and do this. So our tenants are stuck inside. And I was looking at my girlfriend and I was like, are we stuck inside? She's like, no, nobody said anything to me. I'm like, okay. Well. <laughs> we actually left while they were doing all that. They were saying those things on the phone and we went food shopping. We were like, hi. And they're like, hey, have a great day. I'm like, okay. So... They did manage to get somebody to show up at the building. It was multiple phone calls. A manager had to be contacted who contacted a person who had experience working with meters as old as these. I think they were from the 1920s. Mm -hmm. So finally we get back and they are just finishing up. And our landlord is there and he's like, I'm glad you guys got back. They finished about 20 minutes ago. We just want to make sure you guys have power. So we came inside. We turned on all the lights. Everything was working fine. We're like, that's great. So they left. Then we got our first bill. Oh, no. During the summer, we had been paying based on estimates because with the pandemic hitting, what had happened was our regular meter person was no longer contacting anybody to do anything in person. So they just went to estimated. So we've been right. paying estimated for most of 2020. And we got our first bill and it was twice what it normally would have been. It was, right. I think it was around 180 
where normally we were paying about 90 and my girlfriend called Con Ed and talked to somebody. I was like, what's going on here? And it was basically in Con Ed speak, it was you're now paying for electricity that wasn't properly meter read. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay. So we paid it. And then we got our second bill just recently, a couple weeks ago. Oh, no. It was $2,100. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Like, <laughs> are so you charging the, EVs for your entire neighborhood? It, What's going on? <laughs> but the third floor apartment, we find out that he received, and he's been out of town for two and a half weeks. He received a bill for $2,000. Okay, so these, these smart meters are clearly not set up correctly. <laughs> so <laughs> I said to my landlord, she, she happened to come by, and I said to my landlord, I don't know how we could achieve $2,100. If we turned on every light in the apartment and let it burn for 24 hours a day for you a couldn't. month, I no. don't think we'd be able to do it. I don't think $2,100 is in the realm of possibilities. And this is after things like air conditioners no longer running. Like the only thing... Your electricity use is going down right now. Yeah. And you know, you have that moment of incoming information hits your brain and your brain is so desperate to make it make logical sense that something that is ridiculous for a flash of a moment, your brain is like, well, maybe this is the reason. Yeah. Even though it's absolutely no way. absurd. There's no way. Yeah. yeah. For me, the only thing I was like, I was like $2,100. And some part of my brain went, dee, 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 and said, <laughs> what has changed since the previous month? You bought a heating pad. <laughs> So there was this very, The cost of sleeping in comfort is $2,000. Yes, this brief moment of like, (laughs) is this all because of my back pain? I knew I shouldn't have bought that heating pad. So did you get in touch with, did they figure out what the problem was? So the investigation has started. We then get a subsequent bill, which says from April of 2019. Oh no. Until September of 2020, our electricity usage was, and then it gives the amount of the previous bill. And then it says amount owed $0. And I look at it and I'm looking at all the little footnotes and there's little things all over the place. It's a con ed bill. You know, they're indecipherable to begin with. Uh I look at it and I said, reading between the lines, what I see is you initiated an investigation. Somebody went into the records and looked at our previous billing history and said, I have no idea why you've been billed $2,100. And just wiped it clean. I'm just going to wipe it. Yeah, that's probably so what they did. That's probably what happened. Somebody just looked at this and said, this makes zero sense. We just need to start clean. So wiped. So we have no idea what our next bill is going to look like. It'll be very exciting to find out. Yeah. But there's a glitch you, in the matrix. There's a glitch in the matrix. I keep seeing the same cat walk through the door. And <laughs> and you know Kung Fu. <laughs> and I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> and that's oh, that boy. little, uh, what you just said, uh, bringing it back to the Matrix, not directly, but it is a little bit of a teaser of something I'm going to talk about at the end of the episode. But what is funny is during all this, I was like, we get this $2,100 bill. And then this video of yours drops. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. yes. Community solar. <laughs> That's the solution. <laughs> then I can have as many heating pads as I want. Yeah, exactly. 
Powered by clean energy. That's right. <laughs> no, don't turn that heating pad off. Turn more on. It's solar powered. <laughs> the, the sun, sun is, is so warming warm. my back. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I sweating? Um, Ask the sun. <laughs> so it's it was a timely video. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, your guidance on it is extremely helpful. It's like the little cheat sheet of what what are they talking about when they say, here's one option, here's another option. And I I think you did a great job of conveying all of that. One of the the comments raised an interesting comparison. The commenter said that in the UK, they also have community wind farms. Yes. And have you seen anything about that in the US? Is there a similar situation in the u.s i haven't but i'm pretty sure it does exist i one of my one of my patrons actually is a co-owner of a windmill the netherlands he owns part of a windmill so part of his energy is coming from that so in a way it's that same kind of program Mm -hmm. on a very small scale for where he is but i have not seen that in the u.s it would not surprise me if there are communities that do this you also had in your video the map showing where legislation has been set up and is active, allowing this kind of community farm relationship. And the places where it's not currently active, is there a motion in that direction? I would say yes. It's inevitable that it's kind of going this way. And I think it's everybody's kind of slowly going here. Some of them are kicking and screaming this direction, but it it's one of those, no matter what you're talking about, follow the money. Just follow the money. Right. And like for this... From an investment perspective, there is money to be made. And from an end user perspective, there's money to be saved. So those two things, when they go hand in hand, that's where things go. And that's what's happening with this. So you're going to start seeing stuff like this more and more. How popular are they? Have you got any numbers about how this has grown in the past 10 years? It's in pockets where we're seeing this gaining popularity. And part of the reason that it's in pockets is there's state regulations and laws that are in place that make some states friendlier toward this than others. Right. And some states have embraced community solar and community energy like this. And others have actually laws in place that prevent it. So right. th- that's the main reason why we're seeing it very in uneven structure across the US and in other places of the world. Mm-hmm. But areas where there aren't laws limiting it it's gaining steam. It's, it seems to be gaining in popularity. I mean, one thing that could happen is you could have federal regulation could be changed that could actually yep. override the, the state legislation. That would be one thing. And on another level, it struck me as, as strange that a homeowner's association, you mentioned this in your video, yeah, uh, homeowner's associations being able to restrict the ability to use solar panel. Cause it um, doesn't look nice because it doesn't look nice. And I'm, yep. I'm wondering if there could be a point where state or federal legislation could actually make it illegal for a homeowners association to restrict that kind of thing. Well, in most places, it is against the law for HOAs to do that. It's 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 like technically you're not disallowed to have a satellite dish. Like if you want to have satellite television, your landlord is not allowed to say, you know, I don't want that on the side of my building. They can't disallow that, but they can force you to put the thing in a certain place on the building that makes it less than ideal. Right. So for an HOA where it's like, 
Yeah, we technically can't stop you from getting solar, but you can only get a solar system that can fit this size on your roof. And it has to and it has to be facing in this direction. And that direction may actually be the wrong direction. And then the size of it means that you can only install a four kilowatt system or a three kilowatt system when you actually need eight. So it really hampers those people in those situations to do basically anything. And it's, right. it's, it's so screwed up. It is so screwed up to which it's like, if you see yourself in the position where you might want to do this kind of thing, don't buy into an HOA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's so many restrictions of living in those kind of communities to make them sure that they're looking like some kind of like idyllic, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. it's suburbia. It's like, if, if that's what you want, you're, you're making a trade-off. You're going to you know going in that you're going to probably be hampered in this kind of are you allowed to do both? Can you own solar panels and then effectively mm-hmm. be investing in solar in this way? Or would yes. it be better to say you could own solar panels and then buy stock in a company? Or is this effectively stock in a certain way? It depends on how you're investing in it. Because there are systems where you can invest and you're not getting any of the energy out of it, but you're you're basically buying stock to help you know build out the, the, the company. Yeah. You're building, helping to build out the farm, and then you get a percentage of the revenue that comes back from that. Right. So from an investment point of view, that's how you would do it and how it would work out. From an end user's point of view, for like me, I have solar panels on my roof. I could still double down and do this on top of my solar. Mm. And I've actually been thinking of doing that because my solar panel system, for my situation, I'm only getting about 60% or so of my yearly energy use from my panels. And it's like, I could supplement that a little bit if I buy into a community solar program. And cut and that percentage even deeper. Right? Cut it even deeper for myself um, and get a little more savings on top of what I'm already getting for really no extra money. So it's right. like, I've, I've been thinking about doing that. And there's one thing you didn't talk about in your video, which I'm wondering why you're hiding this reality is, is solar sheep. <laughs> solar sheep. Yes. What is what is solar sheep? Oh man, I, you're so coy when you play <laughs> when you play dumb. Solar sheep You're drawing this out for so long. <laughs> what? Let me tell you about solar sheep. Tell me tell, tell me about solar sheep. This this arose from a comment. Yes. From one of your your viewers who uh-huh. in the part of your video where you talked about the farmer who was using part of his land, leasing part of his land for the solar farm, somebody asked, is he allowed to use the land between the panels in some way? Right. And it created a little chain of conversation and somebody actually said, well, that's where solar sheep come into the mix. And there's an article <laughs> no. that this person linked to, which is about, Farmers who have solar panels on their land or companies that own solar panels and own the land, another way for them to cut down on the carbon footprint is farms lease out sheep that go eat the grass and plants that grow around the solar panels. Yeah, that's awesome. So you end up with these solar farms where sheep Uh are wandering around grazing and it says, let me read from the article a little bit. KDC Solar told Solar Power World, that's the name of the website, 
solarpowerworldonline.com. KDC told them back in 2016 that it was having difficult finding it was having difficulty finding anyone interested in providing sheep for its project in New Jersey. But luckily one local shepherd reached out and KDC saw the results immediately. Compared to paying $25,000 a year to mow a 26 acre acre solar site, a few dozen sheep cost KDC $10,000. Over the life <laughs> of the program, the savings add up. And more national developers took notice. Coupled I, with the desire for more pollinator-friendly <laughs> plants this. on projects, many project owners are deploying holistic land use practices, which include grazing animals, with the most popular four-legged eating machines being sheep. Sheep are excellent at vegetation maintenance because they eat almost anything that grows, and they're short enough to fit under the panels and take advantage <laughs> of the shade and shelter from the elements. That was my favorite part, is that... They're like, well, the sheep are the right height. So the sheep just go under the panels and hang out in the shade or get away from the rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other part I want to read, we no longer have gas-powered equipment running on the site and we are able to provide a steady stream of income to the sheep farmers while the sheep enjoy a safe, healthy environment in which they graze. And of course, the sheep are being fed for the farmer for free. Correct. Yeah. So the farmer Everybody who wins. owns the sheep is saving money. And making money because he's leasing the sheep. So it's this whole cycle of an economy built around this. And <laughs> it's funny because a, a number of years ago, there was a big uh, development project in the major park here in Brooklyn, which is Prospect Park. And there was a, a refurbishment project in a large area, which had become because of the storms of the hurricanes back in the early 2000s, a lot of trees had gone down and the area was no longer able to be accessed and mm -hmm. couldn't be basically refurbished. It couldn't be used as park anymore because it was not safe. In order to get in there, they had to get in there and remove all sorts of things which were toxic to humans. Poison ivy had grown wild in this area. Mm-hmm. So they had to get the poison ivy out before they could get the logs out before they could redevelop. And the way they got the poison ivy out was they leased about a half dozen goats. And, just and they fenced in <laughs> several acres with high, like 12 foot high chicken wire fencing. And, let the and goats then they go just at released it. the goats into there. <laughs> and the goats just wandered around in the multiple acres and just ate everything that they could reach they ate every every leaf off of every tree up to about four feet and it was a group of goats that some of them were the size of a large dog a couple of them were a little bit bigger than that there was a combination of goats from kenya and a couple from india and some that were i think north american in their their species mm -hmm. so it's this combination of goats and the reason they use a combination of goats is because not all goats would eat all the same thing Right. So there were goats that were like, these are bigger goats. They're going to reach the higher vegetation. There are smaller goats. They're going to eat all this stuff down here. And so these goats just wandered around and cleared everything out. And then when they were done with one section, the fencing would be moved a little bit. And they'd be God, pushed love the this. next area. And it took about, I think they were here in Brooklyn for about four and a half, five months. And it actually was on the news and we went over we went for a little family walk and found them and took a bunch of pictures of the goats through the fence and the goats ignored us completely. They were just busy eating poison ivy. And when it was all done, the development project took off and it's been completed. And this is what I love. It's like, it's one of those follow the money. It's like, there are sometimes new piece of technology isn't the right answer. It's 
It's a goat. Right. <laughs> it's, it's some sheep. It's, it's, uh, solar panel farms also don't have to be ground mounted super close to the ground. They can be mounted on systems that raise them up five, six feet off the ground yep. uh, to give them space. There's, there's uh, research being done around pl- uh, putting uh, solar panels that actually let light filter through them above uh, crops. And the crops help to keep the solar panels cool, which improves their efficiency. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like the symbiotic relationship of you're not losing area where you can grow things and then those things that are growing actually help the solar panels be more efficient it's it's crazy how people are figuring this stuff out and it comes back to follow the money here's here's a farmer saving money for his you know livestock and here's a energy company saving money on maintenance (laughs) it's like it's the perfect marriage it's awesome right another solution that it this article talks about is viewing this terrain where you have the solar farms uh-huh. as wildflower ranges for pollinating for bees. Yeah. Creating large areas which would become basically almost that level of wildlife preserve. It's not going to be trees where you then have a lot of birds that would be hunting the insects. You're providing an environment for the insects themselves, especially the bees who are such a critical part of pollination for uh, our food, the, the environment fruits, at large. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's fascinating. The little symbiotic relationships that, that they figure out before we move on. I just wanted to point out one other comment that was from Chris. Chris wrote, I really enjoy your vids. Also, I just recently started to learn in the English of tech course in the UK. I sent your channel to my lecturer who approved you. Yeah. And now You've been shared around by my classmates for further resources for us with our studies in Renewable Energy course. It's a big help for us in understanding everything better. So thank you very much for your content. And I just wanted to say that's really cool. And congratulations on being used in that way. That's, yeah, it's really, it's a credit to the quality of your videos that you're making things that are from a lecturer's perspective useful as a objective resource for a classroom. So yeah. when I was at Fully Charged Live, I had a couple of people at different times come up to me saying, I'm a science teacher and I share your, your videos in my class. And it was like, wait, what? <laughs> I think I should put a little more effort behind these videos now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. I love that. That's nice. It's yeah. really nice. So now at the end of the podcast, we'll move on to what our usual second half looks like, which is sharing of movies. TV shows, entertainment, what have you, to while away the hours. And I'd like to start with something I've talked about before, but I wanted to give it a shout out again because they have a couple of live events coming up, which given the nature of pandemic living right now here in the U.S., pretty much every live event is going to be online. So (laughs) this is something that's available to everybody. And I'm talking about how did this get made? the podcast that reviews movies from a why is this a thing perspective. And it's very entertaining with Paul Shear, Jason Manzoukas, June Diane, Raphael, watching movies, taking them apart. And what they do with their live events typically is in front of an audience in a, a theater where they will have an audience in front of them. They will discuss the movie. Then they will go in for questions from the audience. But 
that can't happen right now. So they have figured right. out a way to do these events online. So if you go to the How Did This Get Made website, you will find information about two live shows that are coming up in December. And they're doing two different movies. Both of them mm -hmm. are holiday films. Both of them look like they're on the Lifetime or Hallmark Channel level of quality. Oh, boy. Oh, no. And the first live event that How Did This Get Made did was, I think it was about six weeks ago, they did the movie Cats. Oh, jeez. No, no. And. <laughs> the buttholes. <laughs> yeah, the butthole. They actually shared the butthole cut. They they did uh, play a YouTube video over the How Did This Get Made live feed. They mm -hmm. shared that. And it was disturbing in a number of levels. But the live show is. You're basically viewing a Zoom call between the three of them. And it's extremely entertaining. And it's a nice way to feel like you're a part of a conversation as it's happening in the way that a live show typically would have been done. Right. And so it's a lot of fun. And the they do charge. So it's like buying a ticket. It's funny when the show was first announced for cats, my girlfriend came to me and she said, We should get tickets for this. So hmm. if I buy tickets, can you Venmo me for your ticket? And I said, we live together. <laughs> if you buy one ticket, we then watch it at the same time. And she said, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> and they've more recently announced. It's a different announced, world we live in today. <laughs> yes, we live in a different world. And and more recently they announced these tickets and she brought me the the thing and she said, they've got tickets available do you want to pick one of these and then maybe you can buy the tickets this time? And I said, do you not remember we live together? We just need one ticket. And because we only need one ticket, we could do both. <laughs> and she said, I forgot. <laughs> so I was able to buy both tickets. They have purchase options, which include buy one or the other or both. And both is a little bit cheaper per. So it was yeah. only 25 bucks. So for 25 bucks, we get two Fridays of entertainment. Nice. And I think the first one is December 11th. I think that was the date. And I think the other one is December 18th. I'm not sure if I've got those dates correct, but the, um, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, and it's really fun. And I, this is my reference at the beginning of this podcast to the little matrix tease. We recently, we haven't done this often, but we did it recently, which is we've been listening to the podcasts going back to 2017, 2018, listening to old ones for a while now. We typically aren't watching the movie before we listen to the podcast. Most of the movies, many of the movies just aren't interesting to me, but the entertainment comes from hearing yeah. them talk about it. Yeah, exactly. But recently, one of the movies that we came to the podcast for was for Johnny Mnemonic. And it was a movie I've never seen, despite oh, the Sean. fact that I always felt like, oh, Johnny Mnemonic is in my wheelhouse. That's that's no. the cyberpunk thing. That's my oh. kind of thing. No. So we ended up watching the movie oh, before no. listening to the podcast. No. And I got to tell you. It's, I, bad, it's so bad. <laughs> that movie, the first 30 minutes, the first 30 minutes, it's like, okay, it's really overstylized. Yes. But they're kind of doing a an okay job with it. It's kind of fun. And then it goes off the rails. The wheels fall off. That yeah. Thing. 
and you get to the end and it's making zero sense and so the the joy so I of, saw that I saw that in a theater <laughs> <laughs> the joy that comes from being able to watch the movie before watching their live show uh-huh. is is part of the fun so for these two movies I made sure when I saw what they were I looked them both up and discovered one is a Netflix film and the other one's on Pluto TV, which is one of those free apps. So we'll be able to watch those probably the Friday before and then a week later watch the live show. It should be a lot of fun. So uh, for me, there's two things. I talked about these before, but I want to kind of revisit them really quickly. There's a documentary on Apple TV Plus, and I keep saying this every time. I'm watching a lot of Apple TV Plus. They're actually making some really good stuff. Um, I started watching the documentary from Werner Herzog and Clive Oppenheimer called Fireball Visitors from Darker Worlds. And it's about, you know, meteorites that hit our planet and how they change not just the environment of our planet, but our society and our beliefs. Um, it's it's very interesting, but it's one of those, I forgot how unique Werner Herzog's <laughs> style of filmmaking is. I'm, I, I'm enjoying it, but... He likes to do lots of crazy long takes on people without <laughs> them saying anything. And right. it's him talking over them. So it's a whole bunch of people looking really uncomfortable staring directly into a camera. <laughs> it's, right. it's really, it's really weird. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about that. It's like, okay, okay, Werner, this is really, really cool stuff you're talking about. But could you please stop showing this person looking really uncomfortable, please? Because it's right. making me uncomfortable. <laughs> But it's 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 going over some really cool stuff about how, you know, this meteorite hit here thousands of years ago and you can see how it impacted the society in that area and how they basically started worshiping the crater and how it impacted their culture. It's and then this meteorite over here, it brought life to our planet that didn't exist here before. It's like it's fascinating. It's really it's really cool stuff. It's just a very Werner Herzogian <laughs> style of filmmaking, which is very unique. Um, the other thing I was going to bring back up is I talked about the Mandalorian and how disappointed I was in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, then you watched the most recent one. I watched the most recent one and whoa, boy, I'm back. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this most yeah. recent episode was spectacular. It was yeah, like, it was full blown Star Wars. Oh my God. It yeah. was. It feels like the doors are getting blown off on the where they're taking the show and how it fits mm-hmm. in the larger Star Wars universe. And before where it it felt very intimate and small, and it still does, you're starting to understand where these characters stand on the greater scheme of things. Yes. And how they're bouncing against the greater lore and nudging it in different ways. And it's so cool to see that. And then the other side of it was this episode, I think, put Baby Yoda to the perfect level of interaction on the show where sometimes it's come across of they're doing things with him because it's cute and it's uh, fan service. And this Mm -hmm. one, it was fan service, but he was a character that was having a distinct impact on the story in little moments. And they were it was just the right amount of levity the right amount of humor, uh, him in that little corridor trying to fix the ship. Yeah. And he's like, no, don't, don't touch the those red one together. The red one where the, where blue, the blue one was. Yeah. <laughs> that whole interaction was 
so perfect and such yeah. a nice little moment where it's like yeah. it's so it's adorable it's funny and it's just he's it's making they're him using yeah. they're using baby yoga as a perfect combination of a macguffin yes and a humanizing element the mandalorian yes. is stepping into a father role without realizing it and there were two moments for me that stood out in that way one was the the trying to repair the ship, giving him directions through that little tiny corridor that only baby Yoda could be in. Yes. That was the, a very father, like I'm being patient with you. I'm trying to explain. You need to listen carefully to what I'm saying. You need to do what I'm saying. And then when it doesn't work and his saying, are you okay? Like, you know, yeah. that, that moment, it was, it was a, a nice parental teaching moment. The other one was when they were eating and yeah. baby Yoda is watching what he's doing and then emulating him. Yes. And there's a shot where they're both drinking and he has the Mandalorian lifts up his helmet in order to drink and baby Yoda is watching it again and again and responding to it and then emulates it. And he himself is drinking at the same moment. So the two of yes. them, it was very much like the scene in Jaws. Yes. Where Roy Scheider's character is talking to his son and the two of them are, are having a beautiful moment with each other of mimicking each other and showing that the strength of that bond. The, the final moment, it, I'm not going to give anything about the plot away, but in the end, there's a sequence where they're flying in the ship. It's like a roller coaster ride. Yeah. And crazy stuff is happening. Heroic music is happening. The Mandalorian is doing his thing. And they keep cutting to Baby Yoda in the side seat, mm -hmm. acting like it's a roller coaster ride. He's throwing his hands in the air going, yeah, because yeah. he's having fun. And meanwhile, out the front window... He's shooting ships down, killing people. And here's this yeah. little guy going, yeah, yeah, having a good time. And it's like, there's something so special about those little moments. Yeah. And I can't wait to see where this goes because the Yoda species, whatever he is, we've only in the films seen Yoda, but in the mm -hmm. books and comic books, there's been other versions of his species and they mm -hmm. range from, you know, people that are kind of mischievous and out for their own stuff and then there's ones like yoda which are out for the greater good uh like warriors and not warriors and it's like it's it's gonna be interesting to see how this character starts to form and who it is and who he turns into be because right. he's being raised by a guy who's basically on the fringes of society right who does things that are good for the right reasons he's he's a good man that mm -hmm. sometimes does bad things and he's being raised by this guy. It's going to be really cool to see how it shapes this force wielding <laughs> Yoda Little guy character, yeah. into a future character because it feels like because these things live for hundreds of years. It's it's going yeah. to be interesting to see what he becomes because right. there's so much to follow just for that one character alone. I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah, and the larger universe that is slowly growing with his relationship with the other the woman who used to be the bounty hunter and now yeah. she's a marshal on that planet and the dialogue between her and representative of the new Republic and the idea that the new Republic is looking to people like her to be like, you needed to be law and order here. You, yeah. you are doing a good thing by being law and order here. You need to do it under the auspices of us to create safe space and the uneasy willingness to be that you know her response to that is she's not willing to she's not willing to super 
quickly embrace that, but she also recognizes the truth of it. Yeah. And I think that one of my favorite things is the, uh, that pilot who was in then a previous episode, um, as the, the first face of the new Republic in this part of space, he's the lead character from Kim's convenience. Hmm. And he was approached. He ran into somebody. There was, there was a bunch of videos online that I've, I've watched about this. When he first did his cameo, it was dropped by one of the other actors in Kim's convenience who tweeted a picture of him in his pilot outfit. And there have been then interviews with him about getting into the Mandalorian. And he had a run with a friend of his and he said they were catching up and he said, so what are you up to? And this person said, well, I'm working on the Mandalorian. And he said his jaw dropped and Uh she then said, do you know Dave Filoni who is one of the producers of the show? And he said, well, of course I know who that is. And she said, well, he's a huge Kim's Convenience fan and he wants to write something for you. (laughs) And he said, excuse me. (laughs) He said, you have to take, he said, you hear that a lot working in entertainment and you have to take it with a great grain of salt that people will say, I want to write something for you. And the reality is it's a business. Things might not happen. Things stand in the way that have nothing to do with you personally. You just have to be able to move forward. Yeah. But he was like, are you kidding? And he said he had his phone with him and he pulled out his phone. He's like, do you know I cosplay? Oh no. And he pulled out his phone and showed all these photos. And he is a cosplayer's cosplayer. He is the guy who shows up at the conventions in perfect replicas of these things. And he showed a series of photos, which included an Imperial officer, a X-wing pilot. One of them was, um, I don't remember if he had a stormtrooper, but he had a series of, of, of these photos that were all sorts of characters from the background yeah. of Star Wars. And she said, send those to me and I'll send them on to Dave. And when Filoni's response came through, it was just tell him to show up in whatever he wants to be. <laughs> so they had negotiations. He was brought in to be an X-Wing pilot. And when he showed up for the fitting, he said he was so excited and so nervous and he shows up and they said, well, you're, and this, and this, I think for me is one of the coolest parts of it. The helmet he's wearing is one of the first times that you're seeing the new Republic uniform helmet. Yeah. And it's not a rebel Alliance helmet anymore. It is now the government helmet. So he shows up, he's told your helmet is still being painted. So for this fitting, we'll have you wear this one. And they open up, he said it was a giant Tupperware container and they open up this giant Tupperware tub and inside is a helmet. And he looks at it and he says, I know my helmets. And he said, I'm looking at this. I recognize immediately. This isn't Luke's design. It's Biggs. Oh my God, he's wearing Biggs' helmet. <laughs> so he's like, is that Biggs's helmet? And the costumer is like, yeah, how did you know that? He's like, of course I know Biggs's helmet. And they put it on him and he said, but this isn't the helmet. This is just a replica of the helmet. And they were like, no, this is the helmet that was used in the film. And he said, he put it on and he immediately started to cry. (laughs) I love that the people that are, they're all our age. 
Yeah. Yeah. The people that are and, making these show the show right now and the movies right now are us. And they grew up with these movies. And these movies are more than just a movie. It's a yeah. it's a part of who we are. And yeah. so it's so moving when you hear about these kind of stories. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, Pedro Pascal had a similar yeah. thing at a convention where he talked about his being brought in with John Favreau and Dave Filoni and he walked into the meeting and around the room they had the storyboards for the first season the entire first season mapped out in storyboarding across every wall like a giant comic book yep and he walked in and all he knew was that they wanted to talk to him about something in this and he walked in he looked around he's like well so who do you want me to play do you want me to be that robot or you want me to yeah. be this alien and they said no we you're the Mandalorian <laughs> and he became speechless at that point in recounting this story. Yeah. It's like, this is something that goes beyond, uh, it's, it's, I can imagine it's like when you had great playwrights, maybe a Shakespeare taking his actors aside and say, you get to be Hamlet. Yeah. And that moment of storytelling on this scale with the characters that everybody grew up with it's that sort of experience and i know for myself if somebody walked in and was like we want you to write the next episode of of the mandalorian i would spend probably three days crying and and pooping your pants and pooping my pants <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh my god <laughs> going through moments of elation and then panic and then elation and then panic. Yes. <laughs> But I agree with you completely. The last couple of episodes have, there was a bit of a dip in the storytelling. Yes. yes. But it's really pulled back out. And and uh, when I watched the most recent episode, it was the same, the same way that you just experienced it. There was one sequence in particular when there's the chase sequence and there's the group of heroes trying to get away from the bad guys and the bad guys are on speeder bikes and are literally hurtling down a cliff in pursuit of the good it guys. Was, it, it was, and like it was harrowing. 10 minutes, 10 yeah. minutes of nonstop action. And at yeah. one point I turned to my wife and I said, this is insane. It's like been yeah. nonstop for the past five minutes and it doesn't feel like it's anywhere close to being done. Yet. Yeah. And <laughs> there was one moment where the speeder bikes, uh, one of them makes a wrong turn, bumps into another one and, and they blow both up. of them blow up against a rock. <laughs> and I was 10. I was 10 years old and sitting in the theater and watching the return of the Jedi for the first time and watching the speeder bikes hurtle through the moon of Endor's forest. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, that oops. You know, like that's the kind of gripping moment it was and top to bottom. Yeah. I just thought it was a great episode and not to give anything away. What was happening in that base, Sean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tying it directly to the movies. Yeah. It's crazy that's stuff. Cool. That's crazy good stuff. stuff. Mm -hmm. So if any of our listeners want to share their thoughts about the most recent episodes of The Mandalorian or Star Wars in general, we just like talking about Star Wars because Star Wars is cool. <laughs> Tell us what you think. You can reach out to us through our contact information, which will be in the podcast description. When you do that, please make sure to subscribe. You can give us a rating, a review. You can share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew uses the force. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next.